that as surely as we died with Christ, we also live with him. Paul tells us because of what he did that we actually have new lives and the capacity to live in a new way. You know, I don't think that the problem with us as believers, or most of us in this room this morning, is a lack of knowledge. I've heard, I heard the quote that many of us have been educated abo- above the degree in which we live, above which degree, the degree in which we actually can apply it. We know so much. We've been told so much. It's actually the living out that God is interested in. This morning, I don't want to talk so much about the resurrection story, about the women going to the tomb and discovering that Jesus was was gone, that his body was gone, that the stone had been rolled away. And then they and they and then there was an angel there that told him, He's not here, he's been risen. We know that story. We've heard that story. If that's new to you or shocking to you, you need to go back and read the Gospels. In fact, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all a little bit different viewpoints, but it's the same story. Now, I really believe that really for us this morning, the issue, the challenge is, is what does resurrection mean to me? How does it affect my life? How does it impact me? What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with my life here in the 21st century? Do you wonder that at all? I see a lot of deer in the headlights. Well, I want to talk a little bit about my resurrection story, or at least one of my resurrection stories, and maybe that will help you to connect with the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for you personally. I have always had weight issues. When I was a kid, I was roly-poly. I was much way overweight. I think when I was in fifth grade, I weighed almost 200 pounds and I was about five foot four. And then in 2012, even though I... I lost weight, I regained it, I lost weight and regained it, I lost weight and regained it. I went on diets, I did all kinds of things to try to lose weight. And then in 2012, I had a heart attack. I didn't even know I had a heart attack, but I knew there was something funny because I had this pain in my shoulder going down my arm and around my neck. And I got home, I drove home when it was happening. I'd just gone for an appointment in a town about 15 minutes away, and I had a heart attack on the way home. And uh, I got home and I told Brooke, I said, I had this weird experience. She said, get in the car, we're going to the hospital. I said, why? Typical male thing, right? And uh, so we got in the car, and uh, I was thinking if I paid my insurance premium. And uh, we got to the hospital, and I'm just kind of, I'm fine, you know, no problem here. I don't know why why we're doing this. And they put me down, laid me in the the hospital bed, and they took took some blood or whatever it was, and they ran a test. They come back a half an hour later and go, so you had a heart attack. I go, you're kidding me. They go, no, you had a heart attack. You know, you have to get this enzyme in your heart that indicates you had a heart attack. And uh, myocardial infarction or whatever they call the thing, technically. And so I thought, oh, well, what does that mean? They go, that means you've got a blocked artery and you're going to have to go to the heart hospital, which is 
four hours, or two and a half, three hours away in Eugene, Oregon, where we were on the coast. And so they put me in an ambulance at 11 o'clock at night and went straight to the heart hospital. And uh, they got there, and, and uh, the next, or that night, or I don't know when it happened now. They put me out, I don't remember. But they put a stent, just this little thing that opens up the artery there, in, in the artery behind my heart. And uh, when I got home, well, before they let me go, they said, you need to change the way you live. You need to change the way you eat. You need to change the way you need to do something differently. And I thought, well, I've tried that a whole lot of times. It hasn't helped. And so anyway, I went home, and I had the fear of God in me for a little while. And so um, I lost weight because I ate, I basically blended my food, blended vegetables and fruit pretty much for about a month, and I dropped 25 pounds. And then I, we went through a, a, a class on heart health, and that helped a little bit. And then we moved here to Nebraska, and I started working construction, so I kept the weight down a little bit and was feeling pretty good, getting lots of exercise. And then I got back involved in ministry and started to put the pounds back on. And I was not really regulating what I was eating. I was eating whatever I wanted to eat. And um, after a while, I was back up to, uh, for me, I think the most I've weighed is about 255 pounds. And uh, I knew that I was in trouble. I knew that I had heart disease, and I knew I was in, I, I didn't know what to eat. So last year, around New Year's, someone told me about an app on my cell phone called Noom, which is a weight loss app that actually tracks your weight. You, you track, you fill in every day everything you eat. You check the calories. You check your weight and so on. And I, I, just, I just came before God and said, Jesus, I can't do this in my own power. I've tried everything. I've gained weight and lost weight. I said, nothing has really changed my life. I come to you in weakness. And Lord, I ask your help. I'm going to do this app, but I know that the app isn't going to save me. I need your help, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit to change me. I need resurrection power. I need to experience your power in my life, Lord. I really believe you live inside of me. So I started with that app, and I don't know what changed. I'll tell you some of the things I did in just a minute, but I began to lose weight, and I began to change the way I saw food. I began to change the way, I don't know, God just began to change me. I also began to play disc golf and do walking and stuff like that too. But um, I've lost 35 pounds. And I've been now a year and two months doing the same lifestyle. And I look behind me and I go, how did this happen? And I'm slowly working toward back down to 200 pounds. And uh, I don't know how long that will take me. It might take me a couple of years. I'm not so much focused on losing weight to look good as I am just being faithful to be a steward of my body to God. So, what made the difference? That's the question. Because I tried. I tried for, for 25, 30 years without any success. Nothing happened. I'm sure many of you could this morning, and maybe weight loss is not your issue. 
Maybe it's something else. Something else, an area where you have an addiction. You're enslaved to something. It can be a mental thing. It can be um, a physical thing. There's a lot of different choices out there. It could be things to be addicted to, to be enslaved to. So I want to look at a Bible story, and then I'm going to share some of the things that I really believe God it helped me, okay, that I believe can help you. I'm going to share from Ezekiel chapter 37 the story about the dry bones. And, and actually the title of my message this morning is, Can These Bones Live? And when I'm saying these bones, you need to take your hands and go like this. Can these bones live? Can that thing in me that is dead and doesn't seem to have enough life in it and doesn't have power, can that change? Can God do something in me that I can't do in myself to set me free? So let's look at this passage, starting in uh, verse 1. I'm going to read the first three verses first. The prophet Ezekiel is talking here, and of course the context of the story is all about the nation of Israel, which was decimated, and could God restore them? But here it has a personal application. I felt the power of the Lord on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he put me down in the middle of a valley. Okay, see the prophet God sets him down in the middle of a valley. He's having a vision here, okay? And the valley was full of bones. And I got a picture of bones. If we can get the slides to work. Did you put it on slideshow, Brett? Aha. I'm having fun. (laughs) Dale's gone. He's with his family in Colorado. He's our slide master. So he put me in this valley, and it was full of dead bones, dry bones. He led me around among the bones. So he's walking around, looking at the bones, and seeing, yeah, they're very dry, very disconnected. And I saw that that there were many bones in the valley and that they were very dry. Then he asked me, human, and, you know, the King James says, son of man, but he's, he's really saying human being, can these bones live? Now, when God asks you a question, Does it mean that he's lacking knowledge? Is he lacking the answer? No. Why does God ask us questions like this? He's trying to find out what we are willing to believe. What we think. Remember in the garden when God asked Adam and Eve, Where are you? Is that because God had lost track of Adam and Eve? No. He wanted them to look at their heart and go, we messed up. Here he's asking the prophet, can these bones live? The prophet, he's smart. He answers a kind of a neutral answer. Uh, He says, Lord God, only you know. Lord, you know. So how much life was there in those bones? Zap, Zippo, right? Was there any hope for those bones? Zero. They were very dry, it says. Have you ever felt that way about your life? Have you ever felt like you were so dry? There was nothing there. 
Have you ever been in a valley of despair? Have you ever felt so powerless that you just didn't know what, you couldn't do anything. You were just dead. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this message will give hope for you. I really believe it could. So let's keep going. Verse 4, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. He's telling the prophet to prophesy. He's saying, I want you to declare something over these bones. See how God's wanting to include us in the situation. He doesn't want just do it all himself. God's all about relationships. So he's telling you to speak to your situation. So he says to the prophet, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to the bones. I will cause breath to enter you so that you will come to life. I will put muscles on you and flesh on you and cover you with skin. Then I will put breath in you so that you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. See, God wants you to know that He is real and that He is involved in your life. So one of the ways that God wants you to know that and to believe that is He wants to do something new in you to bring alive something that's dead. The first thing He says here is hear the word of the Lord. Why does He say that? It's because when God speaks something, it has power in it. It has authority in it. One of the things we need to ask ourselves is how much do I really give weight to the promises of God? Do I even believe that they're for me? Do I believe there's some mythology or some fables or some just historical stuff in the past? Or do I really believe that when God speaks something, there's actual life in it? I love that verse in Hebrews 4 that says the Word of God is living, like it's got life in its own. It's living and active. And it, it's like a sword that separates, it's a two-edged sword that separates soul from spirit, bone from marrow. What do you believe about God's promises? Do you believe that they're for you? Do you believe that they are real and that they, have, that they are living, they are alive? God wants to know what you believe about them. So what is the result here? Let's look at this, starting in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. So the prophet's going, okay, I can do what you're telling me to do. While I, when I, while I prophesied, there was a noise and a rattling. I was going to get a bag of dog bones and have you guys rattle them. I forgot to do that this morning. That would have been good because how many of us got dogs? I think that's most of us. We had to take them all home and give our dog a dog bone. But just imagine these bones beginning to rattle. Can you imagine him standing in that desert with all these skeletons around him? And they began to start to come together and shake and rattle. That must have been a real trip. We're going to play a song at the end that's called Rattling. That I think you're going to enjoy. It's all about that. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and saw muscles come on the bones, and the flesh grew. And the skin covered the bones. 
but there was no breath in them. And God says something's going to happen. It's going to happen. Even dry, dead bones. God is not intimidated by that abyss. So what's the second thing that God commanded them to do? He commanded him to prophesy to the breath. He said to receive God's breath. Does that remind you of anything in Genesis? When God took that man that he made out of clay and dust and dirt, that's what the word Adam means. It means earth. He took that, that basically it was just a, a sculpture, and he breathed life into that sculpture, and Adam became real, became what's called a living soul. If we take that living soul out of us, we're just like that lump of earth, aren't we? We're just organic matter. It's that living soul, that breath of God that sustains us. In fact, we're told in Colossians chapter 1 and other places that, that it's that breath, that word of God and breath of God, the spirit of God that holds everything together. The scientists call it, they have a weak force, a nuclear force, strong nuclear force. They have all these forces that they make names up for because they don't know what holds atoms together. They don't know what keeps us from blowing apart. It's the very life and breath of God. Verse 9, But then he said to me, Prophesy to the wind. The word wind and breath and spirit are the same word. Okay? The Hebrew word is ruach. It means wind, it means breath, it means spirit. The, the Greek New Testament, the word is translated with the Greek word pneuma, where we get pneumatic. Same thing, wind, breath, spirit. So he said to me, prophesy to the wind or the breath or the spirit. Prophesy human and say to the wind or the breath, this is what the Lord God says. Wind, come from the, or breath, come from the four winds and breathe on these people or on these skeletons that have now got flesh on them and skin so that they can come back to life. So I prophesied as the Lord commanded me and the breath came into them and they came to life stood on their feet. A very large army. The King James, I love it. An exceedingly great army. Can you imagine the prophet standing in the desert watching all these bodies come alive like that? Better than any zombie movie you'll ever see. And this is all a picture. God's giving the prophet and he's giving the nation of Israel and he's giving you and me a picture of what he wants to do. That resurrection isn't just to bring Jesus out of the grave. It's to resurrect you and to resurrect me. To transform and change our lives so that we can experience a life that we never thought was possible. And many of you this morning, I think, still don't believe it's possible. I'm standing here to tell you it's very possible. But it's going to cost you something. Go on a little bit. So, in John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus is with his disciples. It's after the resurrection, right before he ascended to heaven. We've got to remember, Jesus resurrected in his human body. 
It was glorified, so it wasn't quite the same. It was not any longer a body that could decay. It was a human body, though. He had flesh and blood and bones. He has flesh and blood and bones now. And when he ascended into heaven, he didn't change into spirit. He's in heaven in a human fleshly body sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven. So he's talking to his disciples right before that. He leaves them, and he says to them, in John verse 20, verse 22, he says, After this he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, given him your life, then he has breathed his spirit into you. So you need to ask yourself this question. Has the spirit of God been breathed into me? Do I have the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God in me because he breathed in me? Have I ever ever made that choice like Trevius did where he said, Mom, I'm ready I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he prayed to do that. If you you have done that, then then Jesus has breathed in you, and you have his Spirit inside you, which means that you have resurrection power living inside you. We're going to look at that in in just a moment. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, comes in you, and comes on you. How much of how many of you this morning say I could use some power? I could use some power in my life to overcome a lot of things in my life. Well, God has got power for us. It's going to cost us something though. So how was I transformed? How can you be transformed? I'm just going to share uh, four or five things. First of all, as I got desperate, desperate as a heart attack, you might say, literally. Psalm 51. David says, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. In Isaiah, he says, I'll pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. You know, the people, the only people God can't help are the people that say, I don't need God. It's the people that feel like I'm fine, leave me alone. God will grant that wish. The people that end up in hell are not the people that God turned away. God's never turned anyone away that came to him. The only people in hell are the people that turned God away. And unfortunately, hell will have a lot of people in it because they decided, I don't want God. I want to do my thing. I want to live for myself. And God will, will allow you to do that. That's a scary thing to have that much power. So I got desperate. I also got gut level honest with God about my situation, and I humbled myself and said, God, I'm killing myself with a fork. I'm eating whatever I want to eat, whenever I want to eat it, and I'm watching my body pay the price for that. And so I just began to say, God, here's what's really going on. I'm basically due to have another heart attack the way I'm going. It's only a matter of time. And I actually... God, if you can help me, I can change that. I can turn that around. 
says in Psalm 51, 6, that he desires truth in the innermost parts. That means being ruthlessly honest with himself. And, and that was one thing that I finally hit that point of desperation where I was willing to be ruthlessly honest and stop rationalizing and minimizing my lifestyle choices. And I chose to become accountable. I started this app, and every morning, with that app, and I still do this every morning, I, I changed the app to one called Lose It, but it's still the same kind of thing. I would type in my weight. I get on a digital. I get on a digital scale every morning at the same time of day, and I get on the scale. So this morning I weighed two hundred and twenty-one point eight pounds. I got on that scale every morning. Never miss. If I went on vacation, I took my spoon. And then every meal, it asks you, "What did you eat for breakfast? What snack did you eat?" What did you eat for lunch? What snack? And I had to put in every food that went in my mouth and everything that I drank. I've done this for a year and two months. I can't believe I've done it. I still can't believe it. It's not me. It's God helping me. But I decided to be accountable, and that means I couldn't fudge. And so if I ate a piece of cheesecake late in the day and I didn't want it to appear on my my list of foods that I ate, I had to eat crow, humble myself, and write in, I ate a piece of cheesecake, 400 calories for a small piece. I learned really fast how many calories there are in foods, especially the foods I like. I, I learned how many foods that I can eat that are got a lot of bulk and very little calories because they make you feel full, and I like to feel full. I learned a lot of things. The Noom app actually totally educates you on all this nutritional stuff, and it really helped me a lot. So the first thing I did is I got desperate and I got honest. The second thing I did is I committed to listen to God, to believe and obey His Word. Remember, He said, hear the Word of the Lord. I began to say, okay, God, I'm going to hear Your Word. The Word literally means to obey. The word listen in the Hebrew means to obey, not just to listen. It's not the way men listen to their wives, right? It's actually listening with a response. Just a couple verses here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Did you hear that? It is the power of God. If you need power, where is it? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. God's word is good news to me. It's got power in it. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away, all things, behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So I began to believe that Jesus died for me and rose so I could be free, not just of the penalty of sin, be forgiven, but to actually be free of, of the power of sin of sin, the power, in my case, of beating the sin of gluttony. We just sang that song, Oh, praise the name of the one who paid, or no, we didn't sing this one, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. That's a powerful song, too. 
The third thing I did after getting desperate and honest and committing to listen and obey God was I consecrated my will to God. You know, we are made of body, soul, and spirit, and our will is part of our soul. Our will is that capacity to choose. It's a weird thing because we have this amazing power to choose, but without God's help, that power is warped, and we just tend to make choices that we know are going to kill us or are going to hurt us. And we have, in order for that will to be strengthened and that on our will to begin to work the way it's supposed to work, we have to ask God, God, come and take my will. I give it to you. I consecrate it. I put it in your hands. I say, Lord, take my will and, and cause it to work the way you intended. We used to sing this song, Holiness, Holiness, take my will, transform it. That's a part of that verse. Romans 6, verse 16, Paul asked this question, Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? If you give your, your body parts, your hands, your mouth, all that, if you give it for the, for the work of sin, it says it's going to kill you. And it was killing me. I would like to live past 70. But the way I was going, I was on track to be dead by the time I was 70. My mom died at 72 from cancer. But still, my dad, my, my birth dad has heart disease and has had a heart attack. And I know that it, my second one would be coming soon if I continued the way I was going. So I gave my will to God. fourth thing I did is I acknowledged and partnered with Holy Spirit inside me. This is the big point. You know, Paul tells us in Colossians 1.27 that it's the Holy Spirit in you that is the hope of glory. Glory there is a, is a term which really means the hope of transformation, the hope of change, the hope of resurrection in your life. Only The only hope of that is a Holy Spirit living inside of you. So if you have Holy Spirit in you, you have hope. You have the hope of changing. But you've got to partner with Him. He's not going to make you change. He's not going to stick a fork in your mouth and say, eat this. He wants to partner with you. He wants to empower you and me. He wants us to experience resurrection. So I acknowledged my weakness, and I cried out for Holy Spirit to be my power. I love this verse, Zechariah 4.6. It's kind of like the theme verse with Assemblies of God. And in this version, this is New uh, Christian version, it says, You will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, all-powerful. We've heard it this way, not by strength, or not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, right? This is really what it really means, though. You will not succeed by your own strength or your own power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord all-powerful. That should give you hope. The 
you've got to start with the first half. I cannot save myself. I cannot change myself. I cannot succeed by myself. That's hard for us Americans to say. But how many of us have fallen down enough that we're going, you know, maybe there's something true. Maybe there's some truth in that. Maybe I can't do it all with the strength of my own will. But he says, it's by my spirit. God is offering you his Holy Spirit, the power of his spirit to have a changed life, to be free from the addictions and the bondages in our life. So I began to just confess and declare in my life that that he was in me and that I had the power of God living in me. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, we read, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's what these bodies are. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Wow, I love that. Now, here's my key verse. This is the verse, if I wanted you to remember any verse this morning, it would be this one, Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells or lives in you, He who raised Jesus or Christ from the dead will also, which means in addition to that, Give life to your soul, your mortal body, through His Spirit that lives in you. Let's read that again. Let's read it out loud together. Is it up there? Okay, it's the bottom verse. I'm sorry, it's kind of dark from here. Let's read that together. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you or in me, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Is this talking about heaven? No, it's talking about right now. It's talking about you living on this earth right now in your body. It says that if you have that same spirit in you that raised Jesus from the dead, who raised Jesus from the dead? Holy Spirit did. Jesus didn't raise himself. He was a pattern for us. He was in weakness as a human being on this earth. Everything he did that was supernatural and and powerful was through him abiding and living in the Holy Spirit like he was enabling us to do. It says, if his spirit is in you, the one that raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to also, this is the perks you get as being a believer, you can experience his resurrection power in your mortal body. Mine that has heart disease. I can experience and expect to experience it. It's not going to happen if I don't give myself to him. It's not going to happen if I don't believe Him. It's not going to happen if if I'm just doing my own thing. But when we surrender and turn it over to God, then He begins to be able to work in us and save us from ourselves. 
We sing a song here sometimes. We sang it a couple weeks ago. It goes like this. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us. Lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea, lives in us. Lives in us. Lives in me. Lives in me. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you a few questions. What are you desperate about? Are you even desperate? Are you just content, just happy as can be? No problems, no addictions, no no issues, no health issues? Or is there some things that you could use God's help with? Are there some things that you need that are getting your attention, that God's maybe using to get your attention. When I had my heart attack, I was so thankful that I had a wake-up call and not a curtain call, right? I know a lot of people, and one of them is our dear friend Don Desjardins, that didn't get that second chance. It's just been a couple months now, and we continue to pray for you, Julie. such a shock for all of us. I am thankful that I get to preach this message this morning when it very well could have been my curtain call. It could have been the end. That was 12 years ago. It could have been the end. How about you? Is there something that's kind of nagging you? Something in you that you know? I've got to address this issue at some point. Are you getting desperate enough to begin to call on the Lord? Are you willing to embrace your cross in order to experience your resurrection? There is no resurrection without a cross. And the cross comes first. The cross means death. It means choosing to die. It means choosing to give up. It means choosing to let go. It means choosing to fall down before God and say, God, I can't do this in my own strength. God only helps those who humble themselves. We read that, right? Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. If you want to experience resurrection, you have to experience taking up your own cross. Jesus said so clearly, if anyone wants to come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's none of this, just accept Jesus in your heart and you're done. Whoever told you that, I'm sorry, that was not the gospel. That was a piece of the gospel. Jesus calls us to give him our lives. There's no get Jesus and have everything else that I've got already going on the side. That doesn't work. He's either Lord of all or he's not really Lord. Because what does Lord mean? Lord means boss. Lord means master. Lord means I'm in, he's in control. When you go to work and you have El Jefe or the chief that you work for, you don't do nothing without his permission, right? Some of you guys. He's either Lord or he's not. And if he's not Lord, then why are you even here? Well, unless you're here to hear good news. Because 
you're going to stand before the throne of God and you're going to have to say at that point, I never really made him my Lord. And Jesus is going to say to you, depart from me. You who work lawlessness, I never really knew you. Lawlessness means you were a law to yourself. You did what you wanted to do, and you never surrendered and yielded your life to him. And you will spend eternity the way you chose it, apart from God in everlasting darkness that is so dark it says you'll gnaw your tongue. I have to tell you the truth. It's not fun, but you need to know it. He is God, and He alone is worthy of your life and my life. When He died on that cross, He died for me, and I'm actually one who put Him there, and so did you. Jesus didn't die because of spikes put through His hands. He died from a broken heart because our sins put Him on that cross. That's our starting point. When we own up to that and receive Him as Savior and give Him our lives, it doesn't mean we make work perfect or anything like that. It means that we begin to walk with Jesus and we begin to cry out for Him to transform our lives. That's when change happens. That's when resurrection happens. Have you committed to obeying His Word and receiving His breath? need His Spirit, Holy Spirit in us. And finally, are you in Ezekiel? Are you someone called to believe that God can and will do something to bring life to the people you love and care about? Maybe this morning you've made that decision. You're walking and following Jesus. You're surrendering to Him. You're experiencing the power of God, the resurrection power in your life. But there are people all around you, your family, your friends, co-workers, that you are crying out, God, They're skeletons in the desert. They just don't see it. And you're crying out and you're praying for them. If that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you, keep standing in prayer because God cares about thy family. I want us to close by singing the little song, part of the chorus we sang earlier. just real simple. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. Would you sing that with me just briefly? You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. One more time, we're going to say. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. Father, I thank you.
thank you this morning for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, for the power of testimony. And I thank you for saving my life. I thank you, Lord, for coming to me who in my weakness fell down every time I started to stand up. He failed over and over and over again. Thank you that you saved me from pornography addiction when I was a young man. And you have saved me from the sin of gluttony and from the impact of heart disease. Although that will, I don't know if that's going to be forever. Not forever, but I don't know how long I have that. None of us does. But Lord, I just thank you that I see it so much now. I can tie my shoes without gasping for breath. I can actually run a little ways. I can hike again. God, even 35 pounds made such a difference, and I thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, I don't know what my friends are dr- uh, struggling with this morning. It could be nutrition and eating issues. It could be drug addiction. It could be alcohol. It could be gambling. It could be sex. There's so many things the enemy tries to snare us with. It could be workaholism. And God, we just, this morning, we have an opportunity to experience resurrection power. We will humble ourselves, cry out to you, and begin to let Holy Spirit in us start to work. God, I pray that our bones will begin to rattle our dry bones, and you begin to give us hope, and that you would breathe your breath on us give you now the rest of this day, and I pray that your word would work in us, and you would not let us go, that you would deal with us, Lord, that we would surrender to you and allow you to be who you really are, the true living God, and we will stand before you. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word.